you've got Oz in your ears. It's Radio Free Oz. And Radio Free Oz today is 45 years old. That's right. Radio Free Oz coming at you for 45 years. I'm Peter Bergman, your co-host here in Los Angeles. On the other end of this conversation is David Osman up in Whitby Island. Happy birthday, David. Well, my goodness. Of course, was I there on opening day, I wonder, in July of 1966, right? I don't remember that you were, Dave. I think you were working for ABC. I think you'd already kind of gone off to try and sell out. It was. But, it's, uh, uh, that's true. Uh, 66 was my my one year of television. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's well, the there right. you Television executive Dave Osman, former program director of KPFK, where Oz was born. For those of you who don't know, KPFK was and is the Pacifica station in Los Angeles. And uh, Oz started there on July 24th, 1966. Woo, David. Times have certainly changed, haven't they? Well, 1966, there was a lot going on just politically in LA. Absolutely, Dave. I had come back to I'd come to Los Angeles itself in June via San Francisco, San Francisco via Cleveland, Cleveland via New York and New York via Europe. So I left Europe at the very end of 1965 being in that uh uh colloquium of 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 writers and 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 uh movie makers and avant-garde sound people in Germany and came to New York, and I wasn't tripping either. I, I'd taken my acid in um, Berlin when it was legal, when we used to get it from Sandoz in little legal bottles, and nobody knew what it was. I, and, you know, I told you that story about my first small trip going down to see, <laughs> to meet <laughs> Kenneth Anger and see his marvelously, uh, you know, er, homoerotic films in the CIA secret <laughs> viewing room on 25 micrograms of Sandoz. And I went, this is it. I don't like this stuff. I'm not even sure I like Kenneth Anger. So, <laughs> so I went from there. Oh, my God. So then I ended up in New York, in New York, right? And all that stuff going on. I'd already been with a living theater, not a member, but close to them. And via go via Cleveland to help my dad open his men's store and on off to San Francisco, which was supposed to be, you know, it was hippie haven, okay? Hey, welcome to San Francisco. I thought I was going out there to sleep with an old girlfriend. Turns out I arrive at her apartment and she's hooked up with Neil Cassidy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have no chance against Neil Cassidy. I guess he's, he's pretty famous, man. So they were all very sweet to me, and they gave me this apartment on Polk Street. And I look out one morning, and there's Timothy Leary and Allen Ginsberg walking into this acid symposium. I don't think it was called that, but that's what it was. You could see just through the door all of these, you know, crazy, squiggly, uh, squishy things uh, being projected up on screens. Remember those days? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I looked, I watched those people go through, and I said, man, this is so juvenile. Those people are so completely not getting it. I know this is what, what hit me. So then, uh, and, and it was an interesting time. I mean, you know, Janis Joplin on the streets and, the, and you know, the Grace Slick and, and all those people were the diggers and, and the Grateful Dead. It was a small community. Everybody was there, you know. 
But uh, I got, I went over to the Oracle. Remember the Oracle, that magazine, the first great so-called West Coast hippie magazine? Oh, Pete, I was the poetry editor of the Los Angeles, Southern California Oracle. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. Was, it, Talk about squiggly lines. <laughs> yeah, the Oracle, the, the Southern California Oracle, which was, you know, a, a clone of the of the San Francisco Oracle, uh, it, it was uh, done out of a little place on Fairfax Avenue, and everybody was just out of their minds all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And it took forever for an issue to come out. But that's where um, Hopi set my poem Hopi Set was originally published in uh, in the Southern California Oracle. Oh yeah, we touched all of the in our separate lives in in uh, in the early part of the '60s. We touched all of these same people one way or another. Yeah, I mean, when I, I went over to the Oracle and I said, "Hey, man, I mean, you you've actually worked on a newspaper. How would you like to be our editor?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, said, right. Because yeah, well, all said, we well, can do, all we can do is make squiggly lines. <laughs> lines. Well, let me see your front page of this day, this issue. And there was this picture of this American Indian done with all these psychedelic colors. Mm. And I turned to him. I said, "That's not an American Indian." Yeah. And I left. I knew I would be jinxed if I was going to go promote that image, man. Oh God. Well, it's funny because you then imported that image to from San Francisco to Southern California a year later. Uh, Not even it, a year later, man. No, no, just a couple of months later. This was June. I started Oz in that 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 July. No, but I mean, when you did the Indian Symposium, the Indian Colloquium, uh, that yeah, was the first. That was the first time I saw anybody dressed entirely, a couple dressed entirely in buckskins. Well, there you go. Yeah, that was they, the real Native American, right? Th- yeah. That was the real Native American look. Right. Well, you know, it, but it wasn't psychedelic. I knew that the Indians weren't psychedelic, and I don't even know if I'd started to read Castaneda yet. That was close. I don't remember when he came out. It was close to the inception of Oz. But uh, I'll tell you, in those days when we started, because Dave came on real quickly, you you floated back into KPFK. I was there. Phil Austin was engineering the show. Remember, he was in the booth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, as a listener, I remember having to turn off into a parking lot on Sunset Boulevard, uh-huh. and just sit in the car and listen to whatever, whatever weirdness was going on. Surprise, uh, right? Yeah. Surprise. Oh, my, my earliest picture of you in a professional sense, uh, yeah. as a listener, was uh, your ability to be whoever it was who had written whatever it was you were reading. It didn't matter whether it was the book of Job or Truman Capote. You were that guy, you know. And it was extremely convincing and very unusual, uh, 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 full of a great deal of self-confidence. And and interesting, you know, you'd come from Europe. And so there was this avant-garde, European avant-garde thing that was sort of the next generation of that. You know, uh-huh, the, right. the the uh, the children of the of the you know, looking back at the days of the surrealists and thinking, how could I be so c- cool? Like that was cool. You know, it was post beat also. Remember, but it was European because Euro- the Europeans were not beats. They were they were surrealists right. and they were whatever. Right. But yeah. And, and so you heard I was doing that, man. And uh, I'll tell you, when I started on KPFK. You remember what FM was like? I mean, you look at FM today, and it's just, it's an abomination. It's all the same tune being played over and over again. 
back then, it was so insanely square. You, you, you did art, but otherwise it was just like, huh? All dead Germans being played. It was all very, very classical and cool. I imagine that they probably even looked askance at, at your poetry at that time because you weren't doing stuffy stuff, man. You know, you were... You were doing rare stuff, so I, I don't know. Um, anyway, when I got on there, there was nothing on at night, and Oz just exploded. Remember how big it got so quickly? Well, about nine months later, there was a second marathon. You showed up just in time to uh, be at the first fundraiser for this radio station right. in 66. Yeah. Well, in April of 67, the yeah. second one... Radio Free Oz was at its peak. Yep. It was yep. just before you left KPFK yep. and moved on to uh, KRLA. Yep, yep. So, and, so and at we were K- given everything. Yeah, uh, well, I was going to say at KPFK, that's as as long as the show lasted. But then again, you were doing three or four hours a night, so. Oh, five nights a week. Yeah. Right. A lot of really interesting and weird people came through Radio Free Oz, just to give folks there an idea of what it was like to sit in KPFK and have Frank Zappa come through, the Buffalo Springfield come through, uh, Timoth- not Timothy Leary, but a couple of people who had come up from Timothy Leary's art camp in Mexico whose eyes were pinwheels. But the worst of all, man, because all of that stuff was fine. I mean, Fr- Frank Zappa was a bit of an asshole, but he was just, he was just nervous, that's all. Uh, but it was Andy Warhol, Dave. That oh, was you mean you Mr. Know, Campbell Soup Can himself? Himself. He, the guy he, whose paintings are selling for billions of dollars in yeah, your so studio. Thought, oh, wow. oh, yeah. you know, wow, Andy Warhol. I look over, and there he is on the other side of the glass waiting to come in. And for the first time, in, and probably the last time in my life, I, I was faced with a vampire. There's no doubt about this fact. This man was an emotional vampire. His, his skin was the color of the underbelly of a fish. He comes in for the interview and won't speak. He brings in Ultraviolet and some other lady with him, and they speak for him when they weren't drinking vodka straight from a quart bottle. Uh, at the end of the show, I was so emotionally drained. There's a picture of me with my head on the shoulder of, of, of Brooke Anderson, my, my girlfriend of the time. Uh, I think we're at Denny's afterwards. And I was completely drained. So, and, you know, so think about what a, what a fascinating and available time that was. There was, there was no other, uh, you know, gold standard. You created it all yourself. I'd heard Bob Fast in New York doing a show, but Radio Free Oz was the first truly wide-scale, go-get-em alternative radio show in America. I, I think I, that's fair to say. So Andy Warhol the Vampire visited the studio, but there were two things that, actually three things that come to mind about that period. One, of course, is the formation of the Fire Sign Theater. I mean, there was there were these guys. Uh, Phil Austin was so funny. He started engineering the show and producing the show, too. And then we'd start to f- play with each other on the radio. And he's so funny. I'd never really heard anybody like that, you know. And, and at Yale, I'd been with some pretty funny people, but he was something. And then Dave Osmond comes by, and, and he's just 
full of all sorts of fascinating stuff. He knew about the Indians and he knew about Los Angeles and poetry and he'd done the, the beat poets and he was, he brought that like the, the smell of New York with him. And then Phil Proctor, whom I'd been with at Yale, who was like the lead in two of my musicals shows up and I'm doing funny things with him. And all of a sudden I look around at these three guys. And I remember maybe subconsciously that time in London in 1965, when I was working there, I was working with Peter Cook doing uh, some articles for uh, Private Eye, and I walked down Oxford Circle, and I looked up, and there was a huge billboard of the Beatles. This was Beatles 65, and it said, showed the four of them in those little, like, the the, col- the Nehru kind of black, you know, the mod thing. Mm-hmm. And under the, it said, yeah, 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 something like that. <laughs> and I looked up at that billboard and said out loud, I'm going to have a four-man group someday, but we won't dress alike. And all of us, that's right. And then I, then I said that that's God's truth, and then I forgot all about it. And then all of a sudden, here are these guys, and I, and I was a, by then a graduate astrologer of Ivy Goldstein Jacobson's orary school of, of uh, astrology, I blush to say. And uh, I found out that the three of you were all fire signs, and so was I. So, of course, I immediately came up with the fire sign theater. And on Oz, on November 17th, 1966, we did the Oz Film Festival jury. I was going to have an Oz Film Festival in December. It itself never materialized, but the Oz Film Festival jury, which was the other three guys with me moderating, turned out one of the funniest times I have ever had on radio. And it was particularly funny because I didn't expect it. It was completely fresh. I'd never really been in the presence of the Fire Sign Theater. We, cr- we were created as an art form that night. We expressed ourselves. I was totally flabbergasted. All right, there was that. It was Absolutely. a happening. It was, but it was a really smart happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. It was, it was, we found, we both had the, the, the theatricality of it and also the completely loose happening quality of it. So I'll, I'll tell you how naive the, the radio audience was at that time. Not to say that they aren't equally naive today, but I won't speak for them. Austin played, one of his two characters was a pornographic filmmaker from London, okay? And I said, really? He said, uh, and he said he'd like to play one of his movies for us over the radio. I said, well, that's fine. So we start the sound of a 16 millimeter projector going. And I go, oh, well, it's very interesting. It's a dentist's office. Oh, the dentist is wearing a, a, a wolf's mask. That, that's kind of interesting. And this blonde girl is coming in to be the patient. And now he's taking, wait, wait a minute, he's taking off. No, 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 no. You can't show this on the radio. Stop it right now. So we stop the sound of the... Remember the angry calls we got? You can't. You can't stop that movie. He has the right to show anything he wants to on the radio. Oh, God, it blew my mind. It was a dedicated uh, uh, audience of right-to-speak-your-mind folks who listened to that show. Uh, And and, and they really bought it. They really bought that it was somehow real, which is what radio does. You buy that films are real, even though you know they're perfectly well they're not. You buy that they're real. Your brain puts it together. And radio does that in this miraculous way that allows you to play with it. Radio had been very constricted. Perhaps KPFK was the loosest, but it was still operating in the 19th century. You know, it still wasn't as happening 
as it became. I tried to push things along by having live shows every night uh, for a long while and uh, had some wonderful people in to do comedy. But the thing that really hit was Radio Free Oz. And then to be a part of it, when November rolled along, well, we we latched on to the wizard after that, and the wizard latched on to us because we were having so much fun. Oh my! And we continue to have so much fun. Now there was we were we were an avant garde group, and I was approached by a couple of guys who called themselves the Provos. Now I'd been in Amsterdam in sixty four sixty five for a while, and Provos was started in Amsterdam. That term, uh, yeah, Robbie Jaspers was the guy that started it, and so I was familiar with them. And they were the American Provos, uh, uh, Joe and Yellow. Uh, and the other guy who started this group called United States of America, which is kind of a popular rock group for a while, they said, we'd like to take over the station. So what do I say? Sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So they come in that night, pretend to tie me up, and then they play the Star Spangled Banner continuously, saying that they have taken over the station. An hour and a half later, the police broke down the door. (laughs) And I was suspended for two weeks. They couldn't fire me because I was just doing too well. And I thought that that was a little, I thought that was a little extreme. But, you know, that's really the length to which we took radio. Today, the only way we can take radio to those lengths basically is on the web, wouldn't you say? Yes. And even so, um, you know, pulling a stunt, what that was was effectively the same kind of stunt as the War of the Worlds. And after the original War of the Worlds in 1938, the FCC came down on any sort of exploitation of reality um, on the radio that would scare people. So you had to put your station breaks in and had to identify everything. This is a fictional program. Not to scare you. Yeah, not to scare you. And actually, among the many... um, barriers that I, we were directly a part of breaking down in the in the middle 60s there uh, was that con- that convention by then a convention of not uh, uh, tricking the audience you always told the audience except in drama where you were presenting a scene but I mean in uh, live radio uh, is hi as his bell and this is gentlemen let's do some funny voices and here's the traffic man you know the weather downtown it was all like that. And, and suddenly here in the middle of the night, there was a movie festival and people were showing their movies on the radio. And wait a yeah. minute. Wait a minute. He, of course he can show his – wait, honey, get the phone. You know, it was, uh, it, it was <laughs> yes. truly – it was a breakthrough time. And, and, we, and uh, we all enjoyed that so much. And, um, uh, a, 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 well, it culminated in the love-in, really. And that's the first recording that the fire sign did was for ads for the first love-in, which was Easter Sunday in 67. Yes, and that was it was formed because I, I created the word love-in back in the fall in order to sell love-in kits for a dollar over the radio. People sent in the dollars. I just had trouble fulfilling. <laughs> I didn't have a fulfillment company for a buck. How could you get one? But I've, up on Radio Free Oz, if not already, but soon, there will be pictures of at least part of the Radio Free Oz love-in kit, the, the button the and the uh, the poem. Bump, the bumper also sticker. A bumper sticker and the Mexican Free Air Force draft card in case of war, please burn. 
Remember that? And then we did an ad for the Mexican Free Air Force for La Oz, and then that ended up being on Forward into the Past. So there's a real cult connection between early Oz and, and the fire sign and how we carried that forward. Well, but anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Lovin, I had a friend named John Carpenter, now, 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 now dead, bless his heart. Uh, and we were on the radio, and all of a sudden he said, let's have a Lovin. <laughs> I said, Okay. And so we decided we'd have a love-in, and we let everybody know we were going to have a love-in, and we found Elysian Park, and we got a permit for like 4,000 people, and what, 40,000, 50,000 people showed up, blocked traffic on the five for miles? It was amazing. And, of course, Columbia Records came to us at that point because they smelled money, and they said, we want to make a love-in album. And Austin and I said, no, no, we have this thing called Firesign Theater. We're going to make a Firesign Theater album. Okay, they said. Those were the days of, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you sure. <laughs> if you idea, if you red beads and reds, you know. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Come in, do Whatever an album. Yeah, yeah, those were the Clive Davis days, and Clive Davis had a nose oh, no, for it was success. Before Clive was Davis. it before Clive? It was before Clive Davis, yes. It was the guy that... Um, um, Started with an L. He did all the classical stuff. Lichtenstein, Lowenstein, I can't remember his name. It's the person that Clive Davis took over for. But remember, in the early days, they wanted to fire us because they thought our second album, uh, the, the, we gave them, I don't know why, we gave them the, the script for How Can You Be? And they thought it was dirty. Remember? Jack Gold said, this is dirty. And we're not going to do this. And then John McClure from the classical division said, "You don't do it. I'll put him on our. I'll put him on the classical." On classical. Oh, okay, we'll do it. And that, of course, was Nick Danger, which was made made us in made the fire sign into a hit. And it was an old time radio show, you know, which we exploded from the inside. Uh, That was the you know the group's early kind of tribute to that to the 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 freedom to explode radio. That had yeah. come about with Radio Free Oz. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, this morning at 6.25 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, combined elements of the Imperial Japanese Navy and our forces ruthlessly attacked our naval base at Pearl Harbor in the Hawaiian Islands. I have conferred this morning with the Congress and the Chiefs of Staff in emergency session. We have reached our rendezvous with destiny. It is our unanimous and irrevocable decision that the United States of America unconditionally surrender. And now my wife and I would like to return with you for the thrilling conclusion of Private Nick Danger, Third Eye. So I've solved another one for you. Danger, I'll never know how you do it. I was sure I had the goods on you this time. Well, Bradshaw, it's like in the army, you know. The great prince issues commands, founds states, vests families with fiefs. Inferior people should not be employed. Nick, I can't knock success. But you still put me through too many changes. Makers of Looseners Castor Oil Flakes and Fantastic Cigarettes. Looseners for the smile of beauty, Fantastics for the smile of success. And brought you the transcribed adventures of Nick Danger, Third Eye. Tune in again next week, same time, same station, when Nick Danger meets the Arab.
Alright, let's do the little... Rolling. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Phil, you put on the ball plate, we'll go to the other side. So how, much like time, how much time have we got? How yeah. much time have we got? Why don't you say that? Okay, well, that's that. Yeah. How much time? Oh, <laughs> look at this. Time, okay, hey, Cyrus. <laughs> We're on now. Hey, Cyrus, do we have yeah, to... Yeah, what can you put him on? I'm going over to the other uh, side gonna, of the record. Yeah. I'm going to come in from the... Well, how, much, how long does it take to get over the other side? Okay, wait a minute. I'm just going to... Come on, let's go. Have you got your ball, babe? right. Come on. Look, let's just do it. Does anybody got my screen? Any time, Cyrus. Here we go. Scene three. Take 600.